One, two, three, four. Palapalooza. Palapalooza. We're talking to you. I'm Palapalooza. Hello, San Diego. Thanks for listening to Palapalooza. This week, we check in with Norm Leggio. If you've been in San Diego for a while, I'm sure you've heard of Psychotic Waltz. They formed in 1988. He's a founding member and the drummer for Psychotic Waltz. They've toured the world, they've done a lot of big things, and we get to know Norm a little bit more. He was also the owner of Blue Meanie Records here in El Cajon for quite some time, so we chat about that. He's also currently working at Guitar Center. That's how uh, me and Norm met back in 2003, somewhere around there. So we get to hear about how Guitar Center is doing these days. Norm Leggio, Psychotic Waltz, let's give him a call. Norm, what the hell's going on, buddy? Troy, how are you? How are you, my friend? I'm doing good. That's good to hear, brother. Uh, You know, it's been a while since I've been to Guitar Center, uh, not only because of our current situation, but uh, there's a a little shop over by me in Santee that I've been frequenting. Not to to hate on Guitar Center or anything, but... uh, you and I kind of got to know each other there a little bit. Uh, before we get to the band, how are things at Guitar Center? Uh, I don't know. It's been a while since I've been at Guitar Center, too. They uh, furloughed um, the sales guys, and um, I know for a while that they were doing online orders from their central warehouse in Kansas City. Then they had to close that down. Wow. Then... They brought warehouse guys and management guys to go back to work at all the individual stores and pull online orders from store stock. Mm-hmm. And uh, those guys are working and you know shipping stuff out and doing curbside service. And I know that the uh, the uh, warehouse is back open, which I'm happy about. But um, cool. as far as us on the floor sales guys um you know that have all been furloughed um none of us have been asked yet to be back to work they were hoping uh by the end of may beginning of june um so none of us have gotten a notice yet i mean it's still uh not june yet but it's definitely the end of may so uh but i mean you know i'm enjoying the time off you know and i'm i'm okay with uh unemployment stimulus checks tax returns coming in so you know my wife's still working and uh you know, got those big rock star royalty checks uh, <laughs> from iTunes rolling in. I'm being sarcastic. There. <laughs> iTunes and Spotify, right? The, the .003. <laughs> I, I don't want people to think like, oh, yeah, the band, the band's making millions of dollars. No, we're, we're fortunate that we are, you know, getting uh, some, you know, Psychotic Waltz is getting some, you know, small royalty checks in from like iTunes and Spotify and uh stuff like that and uh you know the album's selling well the physical product and everything awesome i you know i'm hanging in there and like i said it's uh kind of nice between uh being in a band and working at guitar center full-time to just have no pressing deadlines like oh i gotta run and do this and be here and do that or it's now like hey Right. I go to my daughter. Let's play video games. Hey, let's watch. <laughs> let's watch a movie. You want a barbecue? You know? So it's it's kind of it's kind of nice to be on the endless summer vacation. Yeah, absolutely, dude. I can relate. How old is your daughter? She's eight. Okay, my daughter is right here, right behind me, right now. Lyric. She's seven, so she's in first grade, and uh, I'm basically her homeschool teacher for time being. Oh, don't you just love that? I love it. I mean, <laughs> I'm a musician. It makes sense for me to be a teacher, right? <laughs> I think it's time we started our new class project. A science project? No, it's called Rock Band. Is this a school project? Yes. 
and it's a requirement. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, entrusting a heavy, I'm talking about myself, not you. I'm sure you're way smarter than I am. <laughs> but entrusting a 53-year-old heavy metal musician to being a school teacher yeah. is a very, very, very dangerous thing. And uh, it makes me appreciate my daughter's school teachers all that much more because it's, it's no easy task. And, you know, of course, since stuff is online, you know, there's some problems with technology and it gets frustrating. Uh, you know, I'll get frustrated. She'll get frustrated, but we're getting through it. You know, so <laughs> I could just imagine you over there, Norm, just get me behind the fucking drums again. Oh, oh for yeah. God's yeah. sakes. Are you rehearsing right now or are you um, are you beating those drums at all? I've been um, doing some practicing on my own. Actually, um, what I have been doing, um, I bought a bunch of online drum lessons from a jazz drummer I really admire called Tommy Igo. Okay, cool. And I'm, I'm off of Drumeo and I'm reworking. I'm just sitting at home with a practice pad and I'm completely trying to change my hand technique. Wow. Um, you know, I only know how to play one way, and that's with uh, brute physical force. <laughs> and, uh, you know. And you're good at that. Uh, and, 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 you know, I'm in, I'm in decent shape, and, you know, I've always been able to do that. And I want to keep drumming as long as I live. And so I'm trying to uh, improve my hand technique to where uh even if i'm not in the best of physical shape in my older years i'm still able to uh play well right. so it's, it's been really hard because you know it's it's one thing to you know change your grip and work on your snare drum technique on a practice pad watching a video with a metronome and then going and trying to when you go behind the kit to try to apply it um, automatically because of muscle, mu muscle memory and all the years of, uh, playing, I just want to go there and just bash the crap out of the drums. Right. Right. And, um, you know, and it, it's really weird. I'll feel myself, you know, implementing the new, um, grip and hand techniques. And I, I can hear, I can, it sounds killer to me. It's like, wow. Okay. I'm still getting power but I, I feel I'm more dynamic and um, it just feels great. And then I'll be like all of a sudden going back to what I did with brute physical force. And I'm realizing like, wow, you know, I'm, I'm working. I've always worked way harder than I should story of my life. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, it's frustrating because, you know, it, it's kind of like the old saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You, you just want to automatically revert to what, you know, like, oh, I'll just do it the way that I've always done, it, right. you know, and, and, you know, it, it's, it, it's hard to do that. So, um, you know, I, I've been, been working on that and, you know, all the, the bands, uh, especially psychotic waltz, um, you know, we're not rehearsing because, uh, well, right now I would have been in Europe with those guys promoting our new uh, record, The God-Shaped Void. We would be right. touring in May and in October, and now um, we rescheduled all the May and October dates wow. to be redone on May of 2021, like so many bands are doing right now yeah you guys there's a lot to cover and and going back that's cool to see that you're um it's inspirational to hear that you're still learning you know and learning new techniques i'm not a drummer but i'm a guitar player and i get into patterns and into slumps where i'm playing similar things so as long as you've been playing dude that's really sort of motivating and inspirational to hear that you're still trying to learn new shit dude i mean how long have you been playing drums um, well, I'm, I'm 53. I started when I was 10. 10 years old. A big a big part of my life um, because I was always, uh, you know, a, a single guy in a band. Um, not only did I always play in a band and, of course, work on songs with a band and learn songs, um, I always tried to improve my technique through those, through those days. Um, you know, I used to play anywhere from four to eight hours a day. And I, I did that well into, you know, my 
my 40s until, you know, I met my wife and started a family. And, you know, I, I still played every day, but the last, you know, nine years um, have been more about just learning new songs, whether it's with the cover band I play with, with or writing new songs and performing live as far as like trying to improve my technique that's that's taken a standstill so the the you know since this is falling in my lap where everyone's sitting at home doing nothing and there's no gigs i said to myself you know i i maybe i should you know i was noting some things where i'm i'm hitting a wall and maybe i should you know and that's that's hard to admit to yourself you know and maybe i should should try to further it so that that's where i'm at right now that's cool brother i know there is no reason in hell that we shouldn't be learning something new during this downtime dude you know i mean it's cool to just check in with musicians man and just see what they're doing i mean obviously you're staying busy like you said you guys just released uh god-shaped void i rock the whole thing out man amazing album Twenty-three years in the making. <laughs> uh, well, actually, nine years in the making. I, I read that it was like your first recording, right? In twenty-three years. Yeah, first recording yeah. In, in twenty-three years. <laughs> right um, we we got back together ten years ago, and um, every other year we were doing reunion shows over in Europe. You know, we play festivals, we do uh, club appearances, and we do these uh, short tours. Um, The first, the very first reunion tour we did was a big one, which was uh, a touring festival called the Power of Metal Tour. And that was with us, Nevermore, um, and Symphony X. And um, we, you know, we did like 30 shows on that tour. And then after that, we just kept doing these like, you know, a week appearance here, a weekend appearance, two weeks there. And in the meantime, we would come back home and at a snail's pace, work on a new record. And, um, you know, the singer, Devin, he lives in Europe. You know, he's when the band broke up uh, in 96, he went to Austria and started a solo career and he did really well. Well, in the middle of this nine years of us working, um, working the record, he ended up doing some, some play where he had to sing and act. And it was with James LeBray, the singer at dream theater. Ah, this is making sense. And it was televised in Holland and it was like a big deal. So that, that slowed some stuff down. Um, I was, Mm -hmm doing an album with uh, another band that I have called Newcomb, a thrash metal band. There was things that we were, we were all doing. Um, the bass player in Psychotic Waltz, he's the production manager for Live Nation San Diego. Oh, wow. You know, so he's a, he's a very busy man too. So uh, we, you know, we were able to do it and you know um it seems like the last three years we did a little more touring which was good because we were able to get together and actually be in the same room talk face to face play some of the parts in front of us in front of each other and actually do a little bit of work while we were on tour so stuff kind of sped up the last three years and um you know we were able to, to record it in july it was just like it seemed like it never was going to happen like there were times where we almost threw in the towel because it was taking so long wow. and there were times when we there were certain songs we were stuck on we were just like why you know what's up with this why isn't this what we want it to be and that the last two get-togethers of touring and discussion about you know certain drum grooves certain chord progressions on certain tunes Mm -hmm. 
you know, ideas clicked all of a sudden and we were able to come back home. And, and actually one of the songs that are on the album, uh, <laughs> the idea came about at sound check when we were getting ready to play, uh, the Wacken festival in Germany. Wow. We're, uh, there, there's this giant stage on the right hand side, candle mass is playing and they're very doomy and Sabbathy. Right. And the song that we wrote at Soundcheck is very doomy and Sabbathy. So we have candle mass to thank for the inspiration. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we were sound checking, you know, Dan kicks into this riff. It was this instant thing where all four of us played it and then our, our singer you know Devin looks at us goes what was that I go I don't know but we need to all remember that and we <laughs> remembered it when we came home and that's like one of the last songs on the record and it it turned out awesome and uh you know we ended up uh when we played Prague Power in October mm -hmm. uh and we just got done recording the new record in July, we actually opened up with the last song of the record. We actually opened up the set with that. We started with the intro nice. uh, that we usually open up with from our first record and then mm -hmm. kicked into a brand new song. So it was, it was, it, it, it's cool how it all, how it folded together, you know, after, you know, almost spending a decade of doing a record and, and the response has been good and we're, we couldn't be happier about it. That's awesome, man. That's very cool. Uh, what is the name of that last song that you referenced? The very last song is called Pull the String. Pull the String. Okay, I'll insert that now. Yeah, it's cool. It's definitely your uh, God-shaped void is like your Chinese democracy, I think, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, except, yeah, definitely. Um, Who's Axel in your band, dude? No. <laughs> uh, there, there is no Axel in our band. Good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's no Chinese democracy either, um, yeah. you know. We were guys that, you know, started back in 86 that were together seven days a week, you know, and, and you know, we basically uh built this band up together and learned how to play in a band you know we were high school kids and um you know at the height of our career in 96 you know we disbanded you know and it was also a weird time you know there's at in 96 when we disbanded it was only you know three fifths of the original members left um even though Brian McAlpin recorded the bleeding record when it was time to go on tour, you know, he, he just had a kid. He, he was done. And, um, him being in a wheelchair, uh, touring was always really hard for him. And, you know, he, he's, you know, he's the toughest road dog I know out there. He's, you know, he, we did quite a bit of touring, in those years between uh 90 and 96 and it, it was it was hard on him and you know after he had a kid doing the bleeding record and how much time it took away you know from his family he he decided that you know it was time to step down and then we got our good friend that we grew up steve cox who i play with in a uh sabbath tribute called Mad Men. yes you know he he came and filled in and you know, when we came back home from those tours, uh, you know, tensions were high amongst us and, you know, we, we just called it a day and, you know, the, wow. that time apart for 15 years and then finally getting back the other 10 years, you know, it, it's really good to be with those guys. Cause they're, they're my, they're my bros. And I, I grew up with them. I've known, I've known them since I was 17 years old you know yeah. and it, it's good it's good to be back and to to be doing this and doing it on a, a a bigger level a level that we always dreamed of having you know i mean all the stars lined up we're on, we got great management we got a great label we put out a good album 
You know, we're not suffering from things like we did in the past that I used to call the indie band blues. You know what the indie band blues is? I don't. I stole this line from Henry Rollins because I used to be obsessive about his books. The indie band blues is, is when a band is on an independent label, they're touring in a van, they show up to the venue there's no posters anywhere at any record store anywhere in the town that you're at right. said club. And then you go to the local record store and your record's not even in the bin. <laughs> not that there's any record stores anymore. Just no promotion at all. Huh? Yeah. You, no, you know? Yeah. That. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's the complete opposite of that. And that, that is like the most amazing thing to me. Right. You know, it's it's everywhere. You can get the album if you want it. You can download it if you want it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it is. Uh, there's so much to talk to you about. I mean, you mentioned Record Store. We have to get into Blue Meanie a little bit here. You've been in the scene for so long, like the music scene. You guys formed in 1988, right? Mm -hmm. And then you took a little break in 1996, which to me was like the start of the digital era. You guys took a break right when probably mp3.com was becoming a thing, right? Yeah, yeah. How are you liking the scene and the music industry now compared to, you know, 20, 25 years ago? Well, you know, there are things about it that I like better, how how you can get the music everywhere there's something to be said about that and um you know when i was making the joke about the digital uh royalties paycheck from <laughs> you know spotify and everything i i i actually really enjoy seeing the statements from like apple music and spotify because they list what countries your music is mostly being downloaded right and and you know what's what's really weird is that the most physical copies which is cds and vinyl um of course are being th the biggest sales are in uh europe okay um but the biggest download sales are here in the United States and Finland, okay. which I thought was really, really unique. Now, in that respect, to be able to see that kind of information instantly is really cool. But and and how you're able just to to download music and hear it. But you know, it, there's such a mass sea of stuff to download. Um, you know, certain gems get lost in the shuffle. Right. And um, you know, back in the day. And I'm talking about even before I owned Blue Meanie, when I was a a customer of theirs. Oh, okay. It was around before you you bought it, huh? Oh yeah, yeah. There, okay. There's a there's a whole there's a whole big backstory about that. Let's hear it. That's what podcasts are for, man. <laughs> you know, you used to have to walk into a record store and thumb through the record bins, and right. You know, you would you would buy an album solely on how cool the album looked, <laughs> right? You know what I mean. And when you got a record home, and if it grabbed you musically, you would sit and stare at the cover, right. You would look at the back cover. You'd read read the lyrics, right? You'd take out the inner sleeve. Look at the pictures. I you'd know. read the the lyrics, the liner notes. I miss that, dude. You would see where it was recorded, who wrote what song, the shout outs that the bands give. You know, thanks to all the thanks. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it, it like the magic is is gone a little bit, huh? In that regard, yeah. You know, the mystique and the magic is gone. You know that that, and and you know the only way you could find out about shows is by going into record stores and seeing flyers and posters, and you know grabbing the reader. Or back then, Bam Magazine was huge. I don't know if you remember Bam Magazine. I remember Bam. Yeah. You know, they would have all the shows listed that were happening on the Sunset Strip. You know, I remember seeing ads for, you know, Slayer playing the Troubadour in the early days during, you know, right before the first record came out. Right. You know, yeah. and, um, yeah. You know, it, it was it's definitely different 
but the the whole Blue Meanie thing. Um, if the listeners aren't aware, Blue Meanie was a, a legendary record shop here, right uh, in El Cajon, right down the street from me. We had you and Tower Records, right? Y- yeah. It's a grand opening storewide sale. Tower Records and Video is now open on Florin Road, across from the Florin Mall. Get BASF blank videotapes just four ninety five, or Sony's high grade videos only five ninety five. BASF Audio Chrome nineties one ninety five, and Sony Audio nineties just two seventy seven per tape. <laughs> Tower must have been your your competition in a lot of ways right yeah well you know they were they were you know tower was a great chain store and you know there was a handful of uh you know great independent record stores you know there was uh blue meanie there was off the record right um that was hillcrest right yeah and there was licorice pizza was another one that goes way back um you know blue meanie originally opened up on second street and um for People who don't know my my history or my last name, my last name is Leggio. Uh, my my parents owned an Italian deli called Leggio's Italian Deli that was pretty famous in El Cajon, and they made great Italian sa- sandwiches. And it was like you know an Italian general store market deli, uh, kind of like a lot of the stuff you see downtown in India Street, right. I remember that spot. When were they active? My dad opened his business in 63. Um, he sold his business around 86, 87. Yeah, it would have been young. Then uh, another person bought it, kept the name, then changed the name in the later 90s. Um, but they're, they're no longer around now. Okay. And, uh, you know, my dad was in business for like 36 years, something, something really ridiculous like that. Blue Meanie opened up across the street from my parents' deli. And I used to go to St. Karen's Catholic School, which was up the street from 2nd Street on uh, Greenfield. And uh, I was walking home from school one day, and I was about... 11 years 10 11 years old and this is back in the day when you could let a 10 year old walk by himself home from school (laughs) you know it was a very very different time sure i see this little building that was a house converted into a store and there's this big yellow sign that said blue mini records rock and roll specialist well for some reason that whole thing attracted me and I walked right into the record store, and the first record I saw just got released that week was in the new release bin, Kiss Destroyer. I wow, it was three dollars. I had three dollars on me. I bought the record, and it forever changed my life. And wow. from then on, they knew me as the kid across the street. They would always come in and get Italian sandwiches from my parents. Right. I would be in there every day listening to music, going through records, and I built quite a record collection. And, um, you know, I was already loved music because I had two older sisters that had records, and I would listen to their records all the time, like, you know, Zeppelin and Deep Purple and Pink Floyd, Stones, Beatles, Monkeys, uh, Banana Splits. Uh, (laughs) you know (laughs) you know and i wanted to play drums and shortly after that i got a drum set from my cousin and uh wow you know so that that that's that's my connection with them and then right out of high school yeah after which was 86 when my dad because i used to work for my dad Mm -hmm. he sold his business i stopped working for my dad i went blue meanie moved to broadway right I went to go buy, I think, the new King Diamond record. I think that week, uh, Them came out from King Diamond. Okay. And I, uh, or it might have been another King Diamond. It might have been, it might have been Fatal Portrait. I'm getting my years mixed up. But um, <laughs> I went in to buy, buy a King Diamond record. Um, I see a Help Wanted sign. I, uh, applied i i didn't apply exactly i went and i go hey you guys need help i go <laughs> i go my dad just sold this store i need a job i would love to work for you guys well they've known me since i was 10 and they go okay well give us your number we'll, we'll give you a call 
so they they talked about it and um you know there was three partners back then gary alex and mitch mm -hmm. so i get a call you know at my parents house or like it's like around seven at night they go hey can you come in right now um we all talked about it and you know we've always liked you and we've known you since you were 10 um let's let's talk about you working here so i come in i don't know if your daughter should hear this is she can she hear me in earshot or no, no i'm on okay headphones. <laughs> okay 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 great great okay so uh and I, i'm actually going in the garage so my daughter can't, <laughs> can't hear this this is really good so they call me in and gary goes hey let's go in the, the back room and so they had this back door and it was, and the back door had this patio that was fenced off with a couch. Yeah. And then they sat me down and they go, well, we want to hire you. We just want to let you know, we smoke pot every day. Do you have a problem with that? <laughs> and I go, I go, no, not at all. And at this time I was like 19 years old and the beginning of a lifelong habit for you. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm cool with that. They go, do you want to get stoned? I'm like, sure. They go, but you have, you can't, we get high all day. You have to stay sober at the register. And I go, I can do that. So my job, my it was the coolest job interview. Was that the first time you, you, you puffed or had you smoked before then? I was a Catholic school kid. So I already started when I was going to Catholic school. You know, <laughs> I was in junior high. I was already, I, I already started. Oh, so, shit. you know, that was the coolest job interview. I basically you know, went to a job interview, smoked a joint and got hired. Right. And it was the beginning <laughs> of a lifelong education that turned me into the rock and roller that I am today. So it shaped you, dude. Yeah, it, sh it totally shaped and, and formed your, your entire life, dude. I can't help but think of uh, Empire Records. plot was very cheesy but you know i like i like the actresses in it you know steven tyler's daughter and and renee's uh whatever so Zellweger, yeah no it's classic it, it kind of makes it makes me think of that but that's such a cool story dude i never knew that i mean we've we've uh, hung out quite a bit at guitar center and stuff that's that's pretty cool man like the fact that blue meanie basically was responsible for getting you into music yeah and um when they they hired me it gets even weirder like about three four months of uh working there i this weird voice entered my head and told me that i'm gonna own this record store someday wow and so i you know i worked for them all through my touring years with psychotic waltz and then when uh psychotic was on our our third record about ready to record our third record mosquito uh the main partner gary wanted to move to arkansas and was going to liquidate the store and the other two partners um you know didn't have enough money to buy them out and you know my my dad was always a real good businessmen and you know my dad helped me negotiate the deal and helped me get a loan and you know wow. i ended up buying the record store and then then downloading took us out <laughs> so you know yeah totally so when were you the owner of blue meanie 94 to 2006 okay do you recall uh, like any crazy influxes of people when you know legendary albums came out like Nevermind or anything like that? Um, you know, I just I just remember you know sales always being strong. Right on. You know, between that time, you know, um, we we had a very loyal stream of clientele of people. You know, definitely all the metalheads, punk rockers, and you know people that were in the classic rock shopped with us i you know i wasn't into rap and hip-hop i mean i carried like the top 10 and 20 you know some of that stuff i liked you know um like nwa right ice t ice cube um you know but a, a lot of that stuff i didn't really really care for you know i i just kind of went with what i knew right. and i you know i concentrated on you know classic rock metal and, and punk and of course gone you know and 
some reggae and um we were known for that and yeah. uh we had a lot of as far as like vinyl like seven inch singles yeah. um we had a huge selection of seven inch singles and we 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 had a lot of oldies and just uh, a very eclectic uh mix of of music and, and collectibles too where would you get the majority of your vinyl would you buy it used yeah, we people would come in every day and um, swap it out and stuff, or or just sell it. Yeah, they would they would bring albums in, and then you know we would order new releases. So like if the new, uh, like example when you know Soundgarden released Super Unknown, of course we brought in the CD and and the cassette, and um, we'd bring in vinyls. You know, so everything that we we ordered, we we you know, in that time, we would have to order three formats: CD, cassette, and vinyl. And then, of course, all day long, every day, we were buying used cassettes, CDs, and and vinyls. And you know, you'd get either cash or trade. You'd get more money in trade. Interesting, cassettes, man. I remember, you know, they're ma- they're making a comeback. Are they really? Well, I was gonna say that I feel like that sort of died out quicker than anything else you know it didn't seem to really stick but that's cool you know what i i loved about cassettes because um and i I think about my my old uh toyota truck i had a uh i had a nice cassette system in there and what i would do is that i would either buy a vinyl or a cd and i would buy high quality cassettes and i had an awesome dubbing deck (laughs) and i would make a copy of my vinyl or my cd for me to you know bump in my my truck on the cassette huh yeah you know (laughs) because you know cd players and cars were kind of pricey back then i remember i know man Looking back is just so crazy. I remember the first DVD player I saw too. Or, you know, it's like my buddy owned it, and I was like, "Holy shit, he must be rich!" Yeah, crazy how times have changed, man. It's it's cool looking back and to hear that whole story of Blue Meanie. Uh, and now I can say, Alexa, play Psychotic Waltz. Let's see if she'll play it. A Psychotic Waltz by Psychotic Waltz from Spotify. Yeah, she's playing it. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Did you? You've never done that. Um, well, you, you know, it, it's funny that you bring up Alexa because um, we have like a 10-year-old TV and we got it from my father-in-law who won some contests and got like a brand new smart TV. And, you know, in order for us to do streaming, I had to get a little Apple box and everything. And um it's not working and we just bought a brand new smart tv and we bought this package and it came with alexa so i'm just now (laughs) but my friend has alexa and i think it's it's pretty amazing because you can just go hey blah 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 alexa play so and so and they, they play it it's pretty brilliant yeah so i just got this whole new package with the i forget what it's called it's got the thing to amplify your internet from your your router the little round net whatever thing right yeah and i got the alexa and i got a new tv it's supposed to be here any day now i've been tracking it i'm so excited and it's you know (laughs) is it a smart tv oh yeah you're modernizing norm you're you're conforming bro (laughs) yeah oh it's a full-blown smart tv it's got all the streaming channels you know so you can connect up your alexa your echo Yes. to your tv you can it, say alexa turn my tv on you know <laughs> exactly it came as a whole package i go well, let's get that you know fucking a. i i will let you know as soon as that will be the first thing i'll do i go alexa play psychotic waltz you know so yeah it's cool to talk about how every you know the, the last 20 30 years with with someone like you that's been around for so long man what's the first concert you attended dude as a music fan Oh, you're not going to believe this one. Uh-oh. The very first concert I ever went to, my father took me to. And, um, you know, it was very odd for my father because my, my, my parents, you know, I have sisters that are 11 and 15 years older than me. Okay. My dad was in his mid-50s when I was born. Wow. And uh, he, you know, was an old-fashioned Sicilian 
born and raised in Italy and came to America, you know, so he was very out of place, but he knew how much I loved rock and roll and how big of a fan of this band was he took me to go see Blondie on the Parallel Lines tour. Wow. And the band that opened was Dave Edmonds Rock Pile. And it was wow. and it was at SDSU at the the open air over there. Yeah. What year would that have been? I was like probably 10 or 11. And you know, even though I, I'm a metal guy, a, a lot of guys they they kind of trip out when I tell them that Clem Burke, the drummer for Blondie, was a huge influence on me. He was he was an amazing drummer. You mentioned influences. Who were some of your influences getting you uh, into playing drums? Well, I mean, one of my very first ones would have been my cousin who gave me my first drum set. He, he has the yes. same first name as me. His name's uh, Norm Azara. And actually, he was a Vegas show drummer. He played drums for Tony Bennett. Oh, wow. You know, he played around Vegas and L.A. And, uh, you know, he was doing that in the 60s. And, he, you know, he played rock, pop, jazz. He was he was he's real good. And, um, you know, he had several drum sets from Rogers and, um, you know, some of the kits he had stored at his mother's house. And his mother was my dad's aunt. And we used to go over there for Thanksgiving. Uh, they lived in Anaheim every year. And I would always sneak into the garage and look at all the drum sets and just be in awe of them. And I used to tell them how I want to be a drummer. And then uh, one Thanksgiving, uh, we're getting ready to leave. And I look in the car and one of his drum sets is in the car. So on the way back home from Anaheim to San Diego, I'm sitting in the back seat next to my new drum set. And, you know, nice. it was a Rogers four-piece jazz kit. Um, it was made out of mahogany shells. I remember it well. You know, I wish I still had it. I sold it to buy a Tama double bass kit. Um, on the collectability market, if I would have kept that kit, I've seen the same exact kit worth like 2000 bucks now you know in great shape right. i look back on that too my first guitar and i i sort of have regrets selling it too it was a fender uh f double fat strat uh but yeah i hear you i can relate so he he was the first influence um shout out to the cousin as far as influences you know peter chris of kiss neil pert rush Right. John Bonham, Clem Burke, Blondie, Bill Ward from Black Sabbath. You know, of course, the drummers from the thrash metal era, Dave Lombardo Slayer, Gene Hoagland, Mickey D from King Diamond, Kim Ruz from Merciful Fate, Tom Hunting from Exodus, uh, Lars from Metallica. That the whole late 80s, early 90s era of thrash metal. Sure. Uh, Gar Samuelson, the first Megadeth drummer. So that that's all influenced me greatly. And then um, the the biggest influence would be uh, a local drummer named Pat Burke, who now teaches drums at Guitar Center. I've heard that name. Yeah. I started studying with him when I was 15. I already been playing for about five years and uh, I owe everything that I got behind the kit to him wow. you know uh we you know we did it the old-fashioned way we worked out a method books and um i studied out of some some great books one of the ones that i i still work on stuff out of is the carmine a piece realistic rock book if you want to be a rock drummer and you can play every variation Mm -hmm. of beats out of the Carmine Peace book, you could be in any rock band. You mentioned one of your guys is in, you know, in theater, and that sort of rang true to me because you guys do sort of have like a, a bit of a theatrical sort of sound. You know what I mean by that? Yeah, there's definitely um, a theme and a story and a a vibe from song to song. It's kind of cinematic when you you know you listen to the melodies and 
you know, Dan, Dan and Brian's guitar work it is uh, based more on texture, color, and right. melody, more so than showing off chops and technique. You know what I mean? Sure. Even even though they have that, they're they're definitely more about about the the they're all about making the song what it is. And I think with their approach and Devin's vocals, um, I you know it totally creates that vibe when you close your eyes and you listen to the song you 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 get certain images in mind very anthem stadium rock the the kind of band that i would want to see at like petco park you know what i mean well we would love to play petco park <laughs> i hope that happens someday you know i always for better or for worse i always like to compare bands and i it makes me think of sort of a blend bringing it to modern day of like muse and avenge sevenfold sort of their love child what do you what do you think about that um well i mean they were you know those those bands came way after af after us but totally. to, to be quite honest um all of us in psychotic waltz really love muse i figured you would especially the bass player ward he's really really obsessed with them right you know i like them a lot and and they're like one of the guilty pleasures and um you know avenge sevenfold i have a lot of a lot of respect for i mean people love to to hate on them and 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 bag on them but i i hear um you know when they first came out i i remember bunch of people were hating on them i'm like okay well this band took a little bit of dream theater right exactly took a little bit of metallica took a little bit of guns and roses but has the image of the misfits and motley crew right uh with a punk rock attitude i go it's it's actually pretty brilliant and they 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 actually really can play they're insane they're guitar player shreds i, I saw them open for uh, metallica peco park their original you know, drummer, you know, was amazing. You know, I could, I could hear a lot of Mike Portnoy influence in his playing, you know? So, um, you know, I, I could see the comparisons to that. I mean, I think what maybe we don't sound like them stylistically, but I think what we have in common with them is, the music is very musical. It's very well thought out. It's very melodic. Yeah. There's a lot of melody in those bands' music, and I think there's a lot of melody in, in our music. Absolutely. You're one of those San Diego bands that probably plays more overseas than in the States, correct? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, that that is correct we we did one u.s show and that was last october uh in atlanta at the Prague power festival and you did a european tour 2019 right i think i, I saw yeah yeah we, we we right right like a week right after our Prague power uh performance we were we did europe how are the people different over there in regards to metal and rock music um you know they're not they're not that much different you know they're like people here they want to you know they love music and um they want to go to shows i just think over there that there's so many more venues on every level from a small club to a big stadium that there's three or four shows happening every night you know, or more, you right. know what I mean? So there, there, I, I definitely think there's more shows that go on a daily basis Interesting. Uh, over there. And um, there's definitely a lot more festivals. There's a lot more venues to where they can house festivals than here. When we came out, it, we kind of came out at a weird time. It was almost kind of after the fact, you know, Metallica and Queensryche yeah. and Faith's Warning were, were all doing doing well even though musically a lot of people say that we were ahead of our time which which we were and it was kind of hard to market our style we also came out a year or two late because as we were coming in you know the musical climate was changing and um you know when people talk about you know soma and the, the local scene well 
you know, there was a time where we, you know, we were one of the bigger drawing bands in San Diego. Within a short time of us going away and playing Europe, and when we came back home, mm-hmm. we were playing these big festivals and these sold-out clubs in Europe in the '90s. But we came back home, and we could not even fill a club with 50 people. We were like old hat. We were grandpa music. Wow. You know, we were being uh, overshadowed by Uncle Ben's big old driver, Lucy's fur coat, unwritten law. Right. More of the pop rock and grunge, pop pop punk, pop, pop rock kind of stuff. You know, Rocket from the Crypt, uh, Drive Like Jehu, all amazing bands, but not metal whatsoever. I mean, the only band that was that had metal tendencies that were influenced by metal, but were able to cross over and probably be one of the biggest bands in San Diego during that time was Sprung Monkey. There you go. And sweet home San Diego. Yeah, I've had uh, Ernie on the podcast a couple times. You know, and actually, their very first their very first show was opening for us. Wow, incredible! What venue was that at? That was in El Cajon Soul at- Kitchen. No, no, we rented out the Veterans Hall in El Cajon for our our CD release party for our our very first CD. Wow! And we sold out the club and. You know, we were friend. I was like real good friends with Ernie. I I grew up with Ernie, the drummer for Slung Monkey. Yeah, and we had them open for us, and that was their first show. Wow! Did not know that. Incredible. Yeah, and then you know they went on to you know be an amazing band, and you know put out great records and do really well. But yeah, I mean the climate changed, so you know, yeah, only the first couple years of us being together, we were playing San Diego. Um, you know, after the, the second album came out, we, we'd like maybe play San Diego once every three months, you know, to warm up, to go, you know, go do shows in Europe or to promote that. Like, Hey, we did an album, Right. you know, we, we were old hat already. So it was really frustrating. And then, you know, um, by the time the third record came out, it, it did well. The fourth record did well. We started accepting the fact, okay, well, maybe we're never going to be known in the States, but we're getting really well known in Europe and, and we're making money finally. And at the height of us making money and getting well known, we broke up in 96. <laughs> oh, man. That, that can happen. It's, it's common, man. What's your favorite venue here locally that you played? You probably rocked the Casbah, right? Several times, I would assume, or no? I've only played the Casbah once. I have... Yeah, same with me. You know, Casbah is a great venue, but um, I don't think they've ever been too metal-friendly. <laughs> right. I played there with my thrash band, Newcomb, thanks to Tim Piles, because he was doing some Facebook post and i said hey you know i've never played there and he he made it happen and i'm very thankful and i i loved it there that's awesome i've seen a lot of great shows um but i would have to say that my favorite venue where i feel at home and definitely is a venue that i've always felt that has supported the metal scene and even more so now than ever with their with their their current owners who are very metal uh, would be brick by brick. Oh, of course. And I played brick by brick with Psychotic Waltz when we were called Oslon, and brick by brick was known as the Spirit Club back in the early thousands. That would be like in '89 we did that. Wow, way back in the day. Okay. And the owner, the owner of Brick is uh, the guitar player for As I Lay Dying. As I Lay Dying. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also the drummers is partner, and then a, a girl named Shannon is the other partner. There's three partners, and they're great people. And uh, I would have to say that I've probably played 300 shows at that club. Wow, crazy. Awesome, brother. Well, dude, you guys are still active. It's it's good to see after, what, 88? Do the math. 33 years? 32 years? Incredible. Yeah. Keep on rocking. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're a San Diego native and you haven't heard the band name Psychotic Waltz, I think you have to uh, 
climb out from under the rock, right? I, I yeah, I, I would say eventually uh, you'll you'll find out about us, you know. Yeah, and and we 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 hope that we're going to be doing a San Diego show uh, before we, you know, before or after our, our next tour coming up you know when when shows are allowed to happen again yeah what are your thoughts on that quickly just to wrap up here uh when do you think shows are going to start back up i know that everybody is rescheduling their their tours for next year i mean touring isn't going to happen till 2021 i've been seeing smaller clubs already advertise that they're doing shows in in july so i i would kind of hope to see that you know some of the smaller venues would would start uh opening up in july but um i i really don't know how they're going to uh regulate the social distancing uh how do you regulate a mosh pit social <laughs> how do you mosh in a, in social how do you do that um for cover bands when you see people out on the dance floor dancing to their favorite cover tune, how, are they going to dance six feet apart from each other? I know. This industry does not do well without uh, human interaction. No, it, it doesn't. So I, I, you know, um, I saw, I don't know if it was a fake thing, but I saw some thing on uh, Facebook where some company is designing a complete bodysuit with a mask for concert goers i saw that i shared that maybe you saw me share it was that you that did that okay fuck all that dude i mean hey if that's what we have to wear to watch a show to go to a show i mean i i suppose i'm all for it but what the hell is happening well okay so do you have to buy a suit yourself or does the suit is included in the escalated concert ticket price (laughs) thousand dollar concert ticket and are they going to clean the thing and do you trust them to sanitize a suit that's wrapped up on your face and your body i mean (sighs) what the hell dude why are we even talking about this it's just craziness yeah i don't I don't understand how that's all going to work. Um, I know the casinos have been right. opening up and that like the blackjack tables and the roulette tables have plastic dividers. So people sit in between that. And then there's a plastic shield in front of the dealer slot machines. You have to sit at every other seat Good Lord. and there's dividers. So, I mean, are there going to be like little dividers that you go into and you stand and watch the band? It's crazy. I like to stay optimistic, you know, on this podcast and and think that it's going to pass sooner than later. I'm in a local band, so uh, we're not touring. But, you know, I've talked to a lot of guys like Tim Mays, the owner of the Casbah, and Corey Steyer. You may know him, uh, the owner of Soda Bar. And everyone seems to be pretty in the dark, you know, but we're hoping it passes sooner than later, man. My my prayers go out to those to those people. The small venues, huh? Yeah. You know, I wish them all the best, and it's a scary thing, you know, because they haven't been able to to bring revenue in, and you know, they have bills to pay, they have families to support, you know. So I, I wish them all the best. I, I you know, that this it's just got to be a horrible, helpless feeling that you can't continue with business and um you know i love the soda bar i i played there quite a few times with newcomb and great spot you know the the staff is great the 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 crowd is always packed it's easy to pack that place yeah coming from the owners you can go to their website you can buy merchandise that's helping during this downtime you can also go to saveourstages.com that's a way to contact uh, legislators to help fund these small venues but yeah you're right dude it sucks but uh it sounds like you're doing well you get a little break from all the wanking there at guitar center so that's got to kind of be nice dude trust me i did my two years bro i'll I'll let i'll let you say that one (laughs) it was fun honestly i can't hate on guitar center it's the it's the epicenter of of music's retail sales you know i mean hate on how much they've corporatized and sold out but it's the it's just the epicenter I, I, it's it's been a great place uh, for me to work, and you know they've been very supportive of me and my 
music ventures and you know i've i've met a lot of great people working there and i've learned a lot yeah of uh stuff not only business wise gear wise but also socially you know i've had to interact with a lot of different types of people and um right you know it and and you know granted you can you can say that about any corporation you can list the good you can list the bad but i i think for the most part you know they're like any business just trying to succeed and survive and especially trying to succeed and survive uh during this time yeah i hope everything gets back to normal for you soon hope you get back to work hope you hope you get back on the stage brother uh it's nice talking with you norm good talking to you troy i pre- i appreciate you inviting me onto the podcast dude of course check out god's shaped void now on uh, all platforms right i've been streaming it on spotify but it's available on, on uh, itunes and oh yeah all them digital platforms psychoticwaltz.com uh, nice chat with you, dude, about Blue Meanie as well. Uh, that was uh, some good stories, brother. All right. Thank you very much. Take care. Norm, the legend, Legio, ladies and gentlemen. Nice chat with you, buddy. It was actually my brother's suggestion to give him a call. We've lived in El Cajon for, God, almost 40 years. And uh, we definitely remember Blue Meanie, legendary spot here in El Cajon. So it was nice checking in with him. Check out his new album, God Shaped Void by Psychotic Waltz. They also have some really cool stuff on YouTube. You can see Norm rocking out and recording on YouTube. So check it out. Hope all is well, San Diego. Thanks for listening.
Palooza. Woo! Word. 